Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. After 24 years in service at the church that his maternal grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, had pastored for many, many years, Jonathan Edwards was removed from his ministry by the congregational vote that was taken. In fact, 90% of the congregation voted for Jonathan Edwards to leave the First Church of Northampton. 24 years of personal service, over 50 years of service of his grandfather, and the family legacy and the ministry there had come to a close. Edwards had come to the ministry there in Northampton, Massachusetts as a young minister, fresh out of college. His academic prowess was evident. Some said he was a bit austere. His grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, had enlarged the ministry through means that Jonathan Edwards came to disagree with. Solomon Stoddard went along with something that came to be known as the halfway covenant. Because infants were baptized at the First Church Northampton, watching the parents live in the world without profession of faith, it became increasingly difficult for some to think it was appropriate for such worldlings to bring their children to the baptismal font and have them be baptized into the covenant and some measure of an assumption of a regenerated life. Solomon Stoddard said, well, it's the best we can do. And so we allowed community members who made no personal profession of faith, community members who had no spirit of holiness in their daily lives, to bring their children, have them be baptized, and if and when they showed up at church on the occasion when the Lord's Supper was being received, Solomon Stoddard allowed them to be served. Imagine then the congregation's great dismay when Jonathan Edwards wrote a lengthy treatise and began to enter into messages saying that the halfway covenant was wrong and those who are living in the world should not be allowed to bring their little ones to the baptismal font for baptism, nor should they be allowed to participate in the Lord's table when they were living in known sin. So in 1750, a vote was taken And the congregation, by this time being largely made up of those who participated in the halfway covenant, voted 90% to remove Jonathan Edwards from his ministry there. He'd only lived seven years after that. He'd be elected to be the president of Princeton. And while heading to Princeton to be their newly elected president, he decided it would be wise for him to be vaccinated. He took the raw smallpox vaccination, and he did not survive. Only Jonathan Edwards' good work of bringing revival to New England and his literary achievements survive today. Why do I tell you that? Because, folks, for generations, for centuries, even for millennia, there have been battles about communion, about the Lord's table. How should the Lord's table be practiced? Who should be allowed to participate in communion? What do the elements of the Lord's table signify? What are the potential benefits 
of partaking of the elements that are so well known, the broken bread and the cup. These and many other questions frequently come when Christians gather together to talk about the Lord's table. There are some churches that practice closed communion. Closed communion requires that everyone who is a non-member vacate the premises while only the members of the local congregation participate at the Lord's table. There are others who practice close communion. Close communion is a practice whereby those who participate at the Lord's table are asked to examine themselves to see if they be in the faith. Are they truly born-again believers? Have they participated in that first necessary ordinance, showing themselves willing to be baptized, showing outwardly what they believe inwardly, that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again? There are others who, of course, practice, like Solomon Stoddard, open communion. It's come and get it. Come as you are. Whoever's there may participate. It seems today that all evangelicals at least recognize two ordinances, some add a third, that being foot washing. But all evangelicals recognize the importance of baptism and the Lord's table. But many differences are known when it comes to the meaning and the keeping of the ordinance of communion. The Lord's Supper gives opportunity for spiritual growth and for blessing to the people of God. We've opened our Bibles to a familiar text, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In fact, it's one that's typically read each time we gather for the Lord's table. And we discover in verse 23 that when we gather, there is to be a past look. There's to be a look into the past, specifically looking in the past to discover again anew, to review repeatedly, frequently, and necessarily what Jesus Christ did when He suffered for our sins. And so we read, for I received, verse 23, of the Lord, that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Most of us try to forget the death, to forget the death of our loved ones. Jesus wants his loved ones to remember his death. Why? Because all we have as Christians depends upon his death. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He wants us to remember his death because he gave himself as a willing, sufficient, holy, perfect substitute for my sin and for yours. Isaiah 53 reminds us, all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He in his body bore our sins. 
Now, remembering that is not just admiring the courage of his sacrifice. It's not just being grateful for his long endurance in sacrificing himself physically. But remembering means to enter into fellowship, to recognize again and again and again that when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. For he took upon himself all of my sins and took the fullness of the wrath of God, paying perfectly as it was read, that once and for all sacrifice for our sins, and we enter spiritually into this remembrance, we look back to the past with gratitude for what Jesus has done. But in verse 26, there's a prophetic look that is necessitated. We do this, he says in verse 26, till he come. For the Christian, the return of Christ is the blessed hope. It's the joyful appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine this, folks. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead in Christ will be raised first, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. So says the Scriptures. We could be transported this very moment faster than the eye can shine into heaven to be with the Lord and then the judgment seat of Christ and then, dear friend, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. When Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room in Luke chapter 22, he spoke ever so reverently and carefully about the supper that he was sharing with them that last supper, that great Passover. He told them at that time that he'd no longer eat of this bread, this consecrated bread, and he'd no longer drink of this cup, this consecrated cup, till he come. There'd be no other communion service, if you will, no other Passover of intent that he would share with his disciples. But he spoke of his coming, and he anticipated a wonderful gathering of fellowship when he, with all of the blood-bought children of God, from every nation, tongue, tribe, and people, will finally gather together at last at that great banquet that is destined to be our portion in heaven. I'm blessed to have a rather large family, and even more blessed to have a wife who loves to entertain. For many years, our Thanksgiving tradition was to take my Thanksgiving tradition, perhaps I should say, was to take the children out of the home while my wife was fixing dinner for the family that gathered. And no matter where our family came from, we would climb a mountain in New England, typically Mount Kearsarge. We'd climb it in the morning. We'd stand in the November wind and look out over the horizon. We'd climb back down. And my, as we drove home, how we longed for Thanksgiving dinner. It was a double blessing. It increased our appetite for that moment, and it gave my wife peace in order to prepare all the things that we'd enjoy. Do you have an appetite as you climb the challenges of life that God puts before you? An appetite for the marriage supper of the Lamb? You see, as we gather around the Lord's table, it's an intentional gathering for the purpose of increasing our appetite prophetically. 
that we would look forward to that day. The songwriter said, friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a glimpse of my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. This passage speaks of a past look. It speaks of a prophetic look. It speaks of a personal look. We read in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause there are many sick among you, and many even sleep. What's he speaking about? He's speaking of the necessity of taking a personal examination as you gather at the Lord's table. Now we could look at this verse and understand it better were we to read it this way. He that eateth or drinketh in an unworthy manner. There'll never be a time when I'm completely worthy this side of heaven to participate in the Lord's table. There are some of sensitive conscience, and may their tribe increase, who come to the Lord's table and sometimes pass by the elements, feeling themselves to be unfit. Dear friend, take the time as you gather at the Lord's table to examine your heart and ask for His grace and ask for His current forgiveness and consider your situation. Then take part, remembering that there'll never be a time when you'll be fully sinless this side of heaven. Historians talk of a communion service in a church in Scotland, and a very sensitive Christian lady, sad as the elders came by serving communion, and shook her head no, feeling herself unworthy to participate of what was being shared. Her pastor watching from the platform saw this woman's unwillingness to participate. He left the platform and sat down next to her, and with words loud enough for the rest of the congregation to hear, he said, take it, dear, take it. It's for sinners. If we say we're without sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, friends, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So there's a personal look that's necessary and as we read further in this passage, we read in verse 31, for if, you would judge, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, carry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. There's to be a public look a public look, a concern for one another, if you will, an understanding of the situation of others in this community of faith that we call a church. There's to be a public look, a consideration for how can I help my brother? How can I help my sister? What is this family going through? What is this dear saint going through? The challenge of coming together around the Lord's table includes coming together Anyone who has a family longs for the time when the whole family's together and a family reunion to be enjoyed. That time is disturbed 
when certain of the children are not getting along, or when the conversation is not edifying. Even so, when we gather together at the Lord's table, we ought to pause and we ought to thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us. Thank the Lord for brothers and sisters in Christ who need our encouragement. Thank the Lord for brothers and sisters in Christ who need someone to come alongside and prop them up, and thank the Lord for those who come alongside and prop me up. There's to be a public look as we confess our faults one to another, and we know the healing that only the Lord can bring. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.